Hey, we got a white rose in the front. A great story. A uh, six-year-old girl was with her auntie out in the fields combining, and she brought her Bible along, and before that day was over, that little six-year-old came to faith uh, by her aunt leading her into faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, praise God for that. Let's praise God for that. Yeah. Somebody told me that was a double harvest that day, and that's right. It's a great way to see it. Well, we're in our study of the book of Mark, calling Jesus, I want you to know, because what Mark wants to know more than anything else is for us to come to know the real Jesus in our lives, because he knows that if we have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is, we'll miss out the power that Jesus can bring to our lives. And so he's all about sharing with us the Jesus that he knows that we need to know. And so he wants us to get to know that Jesus. And today we're going to discover that our, our Lord Jesus has the power to bring a personal touch to each and every one of our lives. You know, personal touch is really important, isn't it? I mean, personal touch means a difference. A touch on a shoulder can bring hope to somebody who's discouraged. A touch on an arm can bring stability to somebody who's stumbling. The touch of a hand to another hand can bring closeness to somebody who feels lonely. We understand the fact of the matter is that when it comes to touch, personal touch is very important in our lives. And today we're going to see how Jesus personally touched the lives of two individuals as described in the Gospel of Mark. First one is a, a woman, an older woman, who for 12 years suffered with a sickness and was at the place where she had no hope left. The other is a 12-year-old girl who is at the place where her, her health is almost gone. And to both of those individuals, Jesus brings his personal touch that changed their lives. Mark wants us to know about that. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to be looking at chapter 5, the book of Mark, looking at verses 21 and following. And so it's a kind of a, a great, it's about two people, two major people in one important story. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now Mark begins by telling us about this 12-year-old girl who's the daughter, the only daughter, of a man named Jairus, who is the official or the ruler of the synagogue, which means that here is a man who was highly respected in his community. He had great prestige for the, the job that he did and was a powerful man among the people. So he has a, the respect of the community, the Jewish community of faith in the city of Capernaum. It's highly possible that he was there when Jesus came to Capernaum for the very first time and taught in the synagogue just a few months earlier. That he was probably there at that point and he heard the teaching of Jesus and he saw the miracles that Jesus did. It's probably at the same synagogue where he was ruling that he witnessed that confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes when they, Jesus asked them, is it right for me to heal this man who has a withered hand? And they refused to answer Jesus at that time. And so he healed that man right in front of them. And it was right after that that the Pharisees decided that they would meet with the Herodians, who were also opposed to Jesus, and together they would plot in such a way to take Jesus out. It's more than likely that this man, the ruler of the Pharisees, or the ruler of the synagogue there, Jairus, was a part of that, maybe in league with them as well at one point. But you know what? When you're at crisis, things change. And you no longer are worried about your reputation. You're no longer worried about what people will say about you. You're no longer worried about meeting the respect of the religious community. When he found out that his daughter was dying, he realized that the best thing he could do for her, because he knew that there was nothing else that could be done for her, was for him to go to Jesus and ask Jesus to come and heal his daughter. 
See, the thing is about when you're desperate and there's nowhere else to turn, where do you turn? I mean, hopefully you turn to the Lord. And maybe that was your story of conversion, that you got to the point where you realized that, you know what, my life is going nowhere, and if I keep going this path, it's going to be even worse, and there's only one place I can go, and that's to Jesus. And in that desperation, in the crisis that you were in, you went to the Lord, and you found out it didn't matter what people thought, it didn't matter what people said, you needed to have Jesus come and touch your lives, and you found out that he was willing to do that. That's what this man believed, that he believed that if he got to Jesus, Jesus had the power to heal his daughter. Now, here's how Mark describes it. Chapter 5, verse 21, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, which means, here's the setting, Jesus had left Capernaum, remember a couple weeks ago, he left Capernaum because he had an appointment that he had to keep on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He had a divine appointment that he knew he had to keep with a man who was demon-possessed to the point where there were a legion of demons inside this man. And he knew that he had this tortured man. There was a man who was willing to come to faith, and so he realized, I've got to get to the other side. And so he left. He goes to the other side. He frees this man from his demons, and you'd think all the people there would rejoice and praise God for seeing this man who was plagued by demons to be now in his right mind and having, you know, a whole new world of life in front of him. And yet, what do they say? Jesus, go away. We don't want you here. They were more afraid of the power that Jesus brought than the power of Satan that was in this man's life. And so they asked Jesus to go, and he does. He leaves that region. And, and he heads back to Capernaum, and that's, that's where we are now. So Jesus has left Gerizines. He's by boat, gone back to the city of Capernaum, and now he's coming to shore. Obviously, the people see him coming, because by the time he sets foot on shore, there's a whole crowd gathered around, waiting for him, pressing in upon him. And so here's what it says. A large crowd gathered around him while he was still by the lake. One of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Okay? Then it says, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My daughter is dying. Now, Luke includes something important for us to understand. It kind of increases the intensity of the request that this man is making. My daughter is dying. Luke tells us that it's his only daughter that's dying. We actually get the impression that it's his only child in the family. So it's maybe not only his only daughter, but it could be that he's, it's the only child that he and his wife have given birth to. And so there's an intensity of what he's doing when coming to Jesus. My little daughter is dying, he says. Please come, put your hand on her, that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. What a great statement. That's our Lord. He responds to the needs of people's lives. He comes with this man. He hears what he's saying, and he responds to this man. And so, and I guess there's an urgency in, in, in this man's understanding of what Jesus needs to do. I mean, he's come, he's found Jesus, he knows his daughter is close to dying, and his hope is if he can get Jesus to my daughter before she dies, then he can heal her. And so they're not going to just walk slowly there, they're going to move along. There's a huge crowd, remember, so he's probably forcing his way through the crowd, trying to get Jesus to come with him at the pace that he knows needs to be done in order to get to his daughter. And then something happens. 
A large crowd followed, it says, and pressed around him. A woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. A woman was there who had bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had and yet was getting, was not, instead of getting better, was getting worse. She grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her blood, her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. I mean, whatever took place in that moment, she knew that something had happened because she realized that she had been healed and what she was feeling in his body, the suffering that she was feeling, had now vanished. It was gone. For 12 years, we're going to find out, for 12 years this woman dealt with that. For 12 years, she was plagued with this flow of blood. And it probably was a menstrual flow of blood. And which means that she lived in the humiliation of that disorder. She lived in disgrace. She lived in a world of shame. She lived in a world of embarrassment. She lived in a world of fear. Socially, the stigma upon her was what? That she was considered unclean. In fact, what we understand is that if you had that as an issue in your life, you would have to wear special clothes to communicate to, to other people around you, don't come close to me because I am unclean. And so that was the stigma that she was experiencing. In fact, according to Leviticus 15 in the Old Testament, every bed that she slept in became unclean. Every chair that she sat on, unclean. Every garment that she put on, unclean. Every person she came in contact with, unclean. This is a stigma that she was living with. She faced a level of humiliation day by day by day by day that never went away, and it went on for 12 years by the time she comes and meets Jesus. It's not that she didn't try to find a cure. It's just that she lived in a world where there was no cure possible. The medical understanding of the day was not enough to realize what the cure needed to be. And what Mark tells us is that she suffered under the care of many doctors who suggested things for her to do, but had no real capacity of doing what she needed to have done. So there was no cure possible for her in the world in which she lived, and she spent all that she had hoping that someday some doctor would give her the right prescription of what needed to be done for her to find freedom from the bleeding, bleeding that she was experiencing. It never happened. And as I said, it's not that she didn't try. So she would have heard all kinds of things that doctors prescribed in that day. She would have heard somebody, one doctor would have said to her, you know, typically what they'd say, have a glass of wine, mix it with some uh, almond and, and crocuses, and, and the, the bleeding will go away. I'm sure she tried it. It didn't work. I'm sure she tried mixing some wine with some Persian onions because that was said to remove a bleeding that she was experiencing. It didn't work. I'm sure she probably tried what the other doctors suggested, that she go sit at an intersection of two roads and then take a glass of wine, and when somebody comes up behind her to, sh to surprise her and frighten her, that the, that the 
bleeding would stop. It didn't stop. And she probably even went to the point where one, one doctor pre prescribed, as many of them had, I guess, had described, that she was to sit in a, a trench of seven different trenches along the road, and she was going to put uh, burnt branches of, 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 of palms, if in each of those, and she was to move from one to the next, and every time she moved, she, she was to take a drink of, of wine, and she was to hear the, the healer say to her, arise from your flow, the flow, arise from the flow. And I'm sure she went through it, and by the time it was done, nothing had changed. This is what the world she lived in. All she had was these superstitious treatments that made no difference except to rob her of the livelihood that she had. And now she comes to Jesus, and now she touches just the, the hem of his robe, and she immediately knows that something has happened because she can feel it in her body. And she knows that she's been set free from the suffering that she's been going through for the last 12 years. And then it says this, At once Jesus realized the power had gone from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched me? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? I mean, I mean the practicalness of the disciples is the fact that, Jesus, you're being pushed on every side, and you're going through this crowd, and they're all trying to get it by you, and you keep forcing your way through, and you're asking the question, who touched me? But what our Lord understood is that, that there's a difference between the touch of a crowd pressing against him and the touch of a woman reaching out to him in faith. And he felt that power go from him that told him that somebody had touched him in faith because he felt the power leave him. And so if the disciples were asking, let's move on, there's all kinds of people touching you, Jesus said, no, nope. you got to stop. And he says, i got to find out who touched me. And so he stopped the procession and said, who touched me? And then he started to look through the crowd to see who would come forward and admit to what they had done. And I don't know how long it took. Obviously, it didn't happen immediately. But you know what? There was no hurry on Jesus' part. Here, here you, know, you think of what Jairus is going through. We've got to get there. We've got to get to my house. We've got to hurry. And now what is Jesus doing? He's waiting there for somebody to come forward and say, you know what? I'm the one who touched you. There's no hurry, there's no rush, there's no feeling that she has to, you know, stand up quickly and come. And finally, when this woman does come to him, it says that she shares with Jesus the whole thing. She shares with Jesus the whole thing. You know, I, I want to bring something to your mind. We have a schedule sometimes when we have something that we feel urgent. We have the feeling that Jesus has to feel the same urgency that we have. And so our schedule is oftentimes different. And I don't know if this is a thing that Mark is trying to share with us, but there's something about 
our schedule being different than the Lord's schedule. Remember when the disciples are in the boat and they're, you know, on the storm on the way to the Gadarenes, and, and they're afraid because it looks like the boat's going to go under, and there's an urgency on that, Lord, you got to do something. Lord, you got to do something right now. And when they find him sleeping in the back, all they can think of, he must not care what we're going through. Because their time schedule was different than our Lord's time schedule. And they were panicked in that moment because they thought that something needed to be done right then. See, Jesus wasn't motivated by the urgency that they had at that moment. So here again, there's no sense of urgency on the part of Jesus here with this, with this woman. He's not panicked. Jairus, for Jairus, the clock is ticking. We understand that. But for Jesus, he has all the time in the world. And he wants to hear what her story is because he wants to feel her pain and he wants to be able to experience what she's gone through so that he can show the compassion to her that she needs to know that he really does know what I've been dealing with over these last few years. So he takes the time because he knows that there is time because what we understand is he's the Lord of time. And he always does things at the right time. And so Jesus took the time because here's what thing. He wanted to heal her immediately, or completely, I should say. He wanted to heal her completely. It wasn't that he was just looking to heal her physically. She touched me, and now I'm going to go on. He wanted to heal her fully. He wanted to heal her completely. And what that meant is this, that he wanted to take the shame away from her completely in that community that was saying to her, you are unclean. And he wanted everybody in that community to, that day to know that she was not going to have to experience that kind of suffering anymore in her life. And so Jesus really saying to her, I never want you to go through this again. So he was willing to wait for her to tell him the whole story so that she can find the complete healing that she needed to have. You know, if, if, if Jesus would have come to a guy and said, you know, tell me your whole story, what happened, we would be able to tell it to him in one sentence, right? This is a woman that he's dealing with, which means that it probably took a while to get through. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that as a kind of accusing you of women of anything. I'm just saying that there's a difference, isn't there? And so as, as she's telling her story in detail... The 12 years, all the things that she had tried, all the finances she had lost. I mean, this is why we know something of her story, because Jesus was willing to stay and listen to the completeness of what she was telling him, the whole thing. What's Jairus doing? He's biting his nails. When is this going to get done? Because he knows that his daughter's life is on the line. But Jesus has time for her. In fact, look what he says about her. This is so good. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He, calls, he doesn't call her woman. He calls her daughter. I mean, I think, I think intentionally that's being done there by Jesus because he knows he's going to the, da the daughter to heal a daughter. Now he says to this woman, daughter, your faith has healed you. And go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You know, he's, in, he's not freeing her from the, heat, the, the, the disease that she has or the disorder she has. That's already happened. She touched Jesus immediately. She was cured. 
and she knew it. What he's now freeing her from is the suffering of what the community would think about her. And so he's taking away the disgrace that she would have felt for all those 12 years and introduce her once again into the community of faith as a person that they could come and touch and be close to and find joy with. It's a reinstatement for her back into the community. So Jesus did that for her. Now, while all this is going on, bad news is coming. And finally, these men come from the house where Jairus' family is, and, and they come with news that tells him that things have turned for the worse. In fact, it says this. Your daughter is dead. Here's what they say. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? What a terrible question. I mean, you cannot imagine anything worse than to say something like that to somebody who's about to lose their daughter. Your daughter is dead. So just why would you want to bother this guy any longer? You know, that's their opinion. That's not Jesus' opinion. Jesus was not bothered by having to go to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. That was not something that Jesus felt was a, a, you know inconvenience on his part. That's how they saw it. Your daughter is dead. You don't need Jesus anymore. See, and the point is, I didn't think Jesus would do any good because nobody had ever been raised from the dead yet. In fact, Jesus, according to the reports in the, in the Gospels, had not raised anybody back to life yet. This was going to be the first miracle of resurrection that Jesus would ever do. And so everybody believed that once she was dead, the door was closed, there was no more possibility of somebody coming along and freeing that woman or freeing that person from bondage of death that they had experienced. But Jesus said this, do not be afraid, just believe. Those are the words you would want to hear from Jesus, wouldn't they? I mean, all of a sudden your world is caving in on you, and to hear Jesus say, don't be afraid, just believe. I mean, those are the words you would want to hear. And the fact of the matter is, Jairus' believes what Jesus tells him. And he accepts those words. And to his credit, he continues to go to his house with Jesus. You know, I only have I experienced once in the time that I've been a pastor of being sitting in the hospital room with a family and watched what happened to that family when they heard the doctor walk into the room and say, I'm sorry to tell you, but your son didn't make it through surgery. And I witnessed what happened to that family, the disbelief that they couldn't imagine, the denial that they were going through, the shock that they were now having to face, not taking a son home, but putting a son in the tomb or in the grave. I mean, this is what Jairus was feeling from these men. Your daughter is dead. But to his credit, when Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe, Jairus believed him, 
and they continued on to the house. Now, when they got there, things were a mess because it says, when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And so this, what that's that telling us is that by the time they get to the house, the, the wailing women and the, the musicians are already there. They would require, Jews required that at, a, at the death of a of member of the family that they would have women who would wail about Oh, how tragic this, this death is and how it happened to such and such in the family and now it's happened to this other person and now his family happened to her. And so all that had already been put in place. And so Jairus knew how close his daughter was to death when he came and met with Jesus. He had already arranged for all the musicians to be there and all the wailing women to be there. And so now they were already in their process. The person had died and they were already going through this. And now... Jesus shows up and says, he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And you and I would too, wouldn't we, if we were in that situation? Because we, we would have known what death looks like. Nobody had been raised from the dead. We would have known this person is dead. And all those people who were there, all those people who were hired to be there to wail and to play their music, they knew that the reason they were there and they were doing it because they were convinced that that person was dead, that it was not just sleeping. But Jesus says, no, she's just asleep. And he did that because he was going to do the miracle of resurrection, but he wanted them to understand that they, from their own words, that they believed that she had died. And so it says, and so they put them all out, and he took the child's father and mother, and here's why I think it might only be a child. This might be the only child in the family because there's no mention of brothers and sisters. And so they went, and just the mother and the father and the disciples who were with him, and that was Peter, James, and John, and they went in where the child was, and he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kaun, meaning little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. Uh, Mark adds, at, at this, they were completely astonished. She got up, walked around, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The miracle of life restored to this little girl. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody about it. Isn't that odd? Why would he do it? I mean, when, when the demoniac came to Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and said, you know, Jesus, can I come with you? He said, no, you can't. But I want you to go back to your home and tell everybody living in the area of Decapolis all that you have experienced in your life through me. But here he's saying, don't tell anybody about it. You know why? Here, it doesn't say why, but let me tell you what I think. Jesus didn't do this miracle to bring notoriety to himself. Jesus didn't do this as a public spectacle to, to tell everybody else that he had the power to heal people and then also bring life back to people. I think what he's saying just for this family is this. This is about me just being here personally for you. You don't have to tell anybody about this. I didn't come to show off my healing power, my power over life. I came simply to restore to you the daughter that you lost. 
And so he was demonstrating to them his power, but it was his power just for them. And that's our Lord, isn't it? He comes to us because his compassion is for us. And it's not so that he can win the acclaim of the people around him. It's simply because he knows what we're going through and he wants to touch our lives with his healing touch and restore what is lost to make us whole again. Eventually, we know the word got out. Obviously, that's why it's recorded here in Mark's gospel. But that wasn't the intent of Jesus. I think that's what Mark's, Jesus is telling him. My intent is not just to prove to everybody around. My intent is just to minister to your family and to touch your life with the healing of your daughter. And I want to just say this morning that if we come to know the real Jesus, that's the real Jesus that we come to know. The real Jesus that is so interested in our lives that he meets us where we're at and he touches us with his touch so that we can know that it's not for him that he did it, but it's only for us because he loves us that much. What's the Jesus that Mark wants us to understand? Jesus, the, the Jesus who has the power to free people from the demons, to cure people from the diseases, and to restore life to those who have lost life. And he'll do it in a way that's very personal, just for us. I think that's the point of the story today. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you again just for being the God who just, you see us where we're at, you know when we need your help and you're willing to offer it. And Father, that is many of us here today. I understand that. And Father, you do not get exhausted by coming to each one of us personally. You know the exact time that we need to have you arrive and show up to do what you only you can do. And so Father, I just thank you and I praise you again today that you are a God who loves us enough to show up, to come to where we're at, to do what only you can do so that we can find the healing and the life that only you can supply. So Father, continue to do that, I pray. And let us understand the real you, Jesus. Let us understand the real you and how much you really do love each one of us so that you touch us personally with your healing touch. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we close in song.